Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. But, but what we've got here at the, at the beginning of chapter 4 is we have Jonah has just finished obeying God. And, and we've been talking about we've been talking about how obedience, actually you have the capacity to obey with your body and not with your heart and your mind. And that's a, that's a type of hollow obedience if it doesn't produce the right heart attitude. Now, now there is such thing, I mean it's a biblical principle, that sometimes you obey because, simply because God's asked you to, and your heart and your mind don't have to be attached to that. And what God does is He uses that to train your heart and your mind to agree with Him, right? To, to not just accommodate Him, but to actually agree with God. I love how the, the front row has totally been taken over. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it's really throwing off my game. So, sisters, um, please, please be as excitable as the, as the boys are. I get the heartiest amens usually from this section, so you've got to recognize it. <clears throat> so, you know, so Jonah has obeyed, and he's gone, and he's, he's preached the message that he was supposed to preach, and he did that work, but what we find is that, is that it didn't produce in him the thing that it was supposed to. It didn't train his heart and his mind. He didn't come into agreement with God. And when that happens, what that means is that we've found a form of godliness, but we've denied the power thereof. That's what that means. We can actually have a form of religion and a form of spirituality that can completely negates the heart and the mind of God. And, and brothers and sisters, we don't want to be there. We don't want to be there. That's called duty. You know what? There's nothing wrong with duty, but it's not sufficient for me. I don't want to serve the Lord out of, of, of a dutiful attitude and completely lose the beauty of knowing Him intimately and having His heart. But that's what Jonah has done. You know, the, the message Jonah delivered had an impact, and he steps back to watch as the Ninevites, an incredibly wicked city, turn from their evil put on sackcloth and ashes, which is a, a, a symbol of contrition. You can study that in Scripture. And they repent of their sins. And God accepts their repentance and spares them of His judgment. But Jonah is bummed about it. He's upset. He's disappointed. And verse 1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Jonah's view of the Ninevites doesn't match God's. He would prefer that God would destroy them. He would prefer that God would bend His own will and His own morality to match Jonah's. And man, we, if we're honest with ourselves, we do that too. How often in your prayer life do you assume that God is going to bend His will to your own? How often do you pray or go before God or, or even just simply sit in your own thoughts and assume that your way is the highway and that at some point God's going to get on board with your program. Verse 2 says, And he, he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my, in my country? Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. We discussed this previously how so often our morality, our worldview, our perspective on how things should go opposes God. And I'm telling you that that's a path for displeasure. Key point number one for today. When we magnify our personal desires over God's, we enter a path of displeasure. A life that magnifies you will manifest dissatisfaction. There's a lot of S's there, sorry. A life that magnifies you will manifest dissatisfaction. Do you know that you can't bring you joy? I mean, that kind of pleasure, the pleasure of you only brings you joy for a season and then it passes. And you're left with the residue, you're left with the outcome. You can't truly bring yourself joy. 
It's not in you. The things that you seek, the desires of your heart, your own personal morality will never bring you to a place of joy. It'll only bring you displeasure. And we want to believe that righteousness looks like our will and our ways. But if our will and our ways don't match God's, then we are in danger of having an emotionally dysfunctional thought life. And isn't that what we've been talking about from the very beginning? That's what this whole series is about. This whole series is about the fact that very, for, for all of us, in fact, for some of us it's more pressing right now. I mean, I, I think about our class and I'm thinking about who's not here right now and the people that I've texted over the last week. And I'm telling you right now, Satan's hand of oppression is on this group of people. And he's convinced us of lies. And there are many people who are in danger of throwing away all of the good things that God has done in their life over the last six months, over the last year, over the last two years. They're ready to throw that away because they're displeased with what God's doing. They're displeased with the things that they want aren't happening. They're displeased because their desires aren't being manifested the way that they want. And the truth is, when your will and your ways come in opposition to God's, you will only just be displeased. And so the response of God is is the following question to Jonah. Verse 4, doest thou well to be angry? Right? And what we talked about is really, you know, God hasn't said a whole lot on the matter of Jonah so far in the book. Right? But this question brings us to ask ourselves, are you justified in your emotions? The way that you feel. Are your thoughts right? Has your way of thinking worked out to your advantage? This is God's question for us. Do you well to be angry, depressed, frustrated, disappointed, sad? So he asks the question and he gets no response. Jonah has nothing to say. And there are some people who who are responding that way, even right now in our midst. No, nothing's, nothing's wrong, Brandon. Nothing's wrong. Everything's okay. Don't worry about me. Well, where are you this morning? I don't see your face. Brother, sister, I don't see you. Do you well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a a sober message. There's no way around that. In fact, Jonah has just been sober. We had a sober worship set. It's just stripped down and and it was raw and, and it reminded us of just who you are. And there was no frills about it. And, and so God, I, I felt and knew in that moment, Lord, that really I have nothing to offer you. And, and, I, and, uh, and there's, I have no eloquence to offer these people this morning, just your word. And so please help me with that. Well, we will only be satisfied with you. And teach us how to find that satisfaction, Lord. Teach us where to find it. Teach us what that means. Teach us truly, Lord, to be thankful for you and for you alone. I pray your help in Jesus' name, amen. So what we started discussing in our previous sermon is that, is that God is using Jonah's life to warn us of the danger of worshiping our feelings. And, and that was the n- number 10 of our, our freedom set. Okay, right? We, we talked about over the last, you know, several months, we've been asking the Lord to teach us how to be freed from some sort of emotional aberrancy, right? Like all these different types of dysfunctional thinking and emotion that we have in our life. And we've been asking for freedom in those areas. And so what we, we came to is we recognized in number 10 that there's one that kind of summarizes all of them, all of the things that we've talked about, and it's this. We need freedom from our di- idolatry of heart. The idolatry of our heart. 
See, there comes a certain point in our walking away from God that our emotions and our thoughts have such great control over us that we begin to worship them. We begin to coddle them. We begin to hold on to them tight. And our every thought and our every emotion becomes wrapped up in our way of thinking. And there's nothing that God can say to us that will deliver us from that way of thinking. Because we've entrenched ourselves emotionally in whatever it is, whatever perspective we have. And again, it's really difficult for me to talk with specificity. You know the areas of your life, the emotions in your life that you tend to worship. There are people that worship their depression. And and by that, what I mean is is that, that you have a tendency to justify your position and rest there. And in fact, what you do is you actually find the most rest when you are in a state of depression. It's the place where you feel the most comfortable. You relate to that state the most. And so when you're, you're facing difficulty, you actually retreat to depression. And the, and the reason I know that is because I do that. And, 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 and all of us have a different emotional or thought state that we retreat to that has become our God. And we allow it to prevent us from actually finding God's will in His way and to have His heart. It it, it gets in the way. Our emotions and our thoughts get in the way. And this happens generally without us knowing. You know that, right? It's cultivated over years. You know, it's it's, it's the way that we were raised. It's the way that we we lived in, in middle school, in high school. It's the things that we learned from a very early age. And they become these these things in our lives, these 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 mainstays. But it absolutely happens as a result of us listening more closely to our own opinions than the opinions of God. That's how it happens. Putting our words over His own. And you can learn to do that from a very early stage in life. How to put, put, put your own words over the words of God. And it sticks with us. And it becomes oppressive. Now here's the warning for you. The danger of trusting in our thoughts and feelings over God's is that we can acquire what's called a reprobate mind in Scripture. In other words, a rejected mind. A rejected mind. So entrenched in our position that we no longer hear the voice of God. That's a thing. That's a thing in Scripture. In other words, Your emotions and your thoughts have become so important to you that they're the very thing that have severed and seared the conscience of God's Spirit in your life. Romans chapter 1 verse 24 says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, listen, through the lusts of their own hearts. You hear me? The lusts of their own hearts. They lusted after the things of their heart to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the uh, the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Jump to verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, there's your thought life, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. This has a very specific application, but more generally, it absolutely is a truth for our life. You have the ability, if you put your heart and your mind over the heart and mind of God, you can sever your conscience and you can go a path of destruction that makes it almost impossible to hear God's voice. Key point number two. When we worship our feelings, we set ourselves on a path of destruction. Is this clear so far? I lost my voice this week and I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to preach. If at any point my voice cuts out, well, Alex has a message for us. He's ready. See, there comes a point when our thoughts and our, you know, okay, so here's the deal, guys. 
There are some of us who have, have made a habit of suppressing God's voice. Okay, now listen to me. There comes a point when our thoughts and our emotions have effectively stuffed our ears and blinded our eyes and hardened our hearts. But listen to me. Before God lets this happen in Jonah's life, this is true for you as well. We witness one last pursuit. Before we close the book on Jonah, we see we see God go after Jonah one more time. And it's so beautiful. And what it's going to do is going to unlock for us the key of breaking free from this cycle of emotional oppression. And he's doing the same thing for you. You know God is pursuing you. You know, for God it's not sufficient that you simply obey him out of physical bodily duty. It's not sufficient for him either. The whole point of this book is that he's going after the heart of Jonah. That's the whole point. And he is not willing that you just obey him because you're afraid to be swallowed by the whale. We must obey him because we love him. Because we adore him. And he wants to give us a way, a path actually to worship. That's what he wants to do. So what does he do? Verse 6, And the Lord God prepared a gourd. So again, we see God preparing. Okay? I mean, we've seen him preparing a lot, right? He prepared a fish. That's what it says. He prepared a fish for Jonah. I mean, I don't know. Listen to me. Jesus says the fish was a whale. It was a whale. What kind of whale? I don't know. A big one. (laughs) What was it like in there? I don't know. I assume it wasn't great based on the prayer of chapter 2. The details of the story, I don't need to have them worked out. He prepared a fish, and the fish was prepared by the hand of God, which means it was specific for Jonah. It was specific for him. And now he's prepared a gourd, a plan intended to expose the idolatry of Jonah's heart. The gourd is an agent of false security for Jonah. God, you know, God creates a gourd. Do you guys know what a gourd is? Right? It's a hard-shelled fruit. I didn't know it was in the fruit category. It's a fruit, technically, because it has seeds in it. Gourds. Now, gourds are the ugliest type of vegetation that exists. <laughs> I mean, they, listen, gourds themselves are aberrant. There's something weird about them. Every one of them is incredibly deformed. Gourds. They're weird. I mean, we've got pumpkins on our front porch. The squirrels are eating them at this point. But I mean, a pumpkin is an ugly thing. We've just grown accustomed to them. But they're ugly. Squash. Is it ugly? Is it, these are ugly things. They're grotesque which only magnifies the oddity of Jonah's deviant fixation. I mean, it could have been anything that God grew. You know what I mean? could have been a beautiful giant kiwi. Right? I like kiwi. You know? There's there's just certain fruits. It could have been, you know. But, no, it was a gourd of some sort. It just... It magnifies the absurdity of the whole situation. Look, it says, and he made it to come over, up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. You know, when I think about the gourd here in this story, I think about the the movie Castaway. You know what I'm talking about? I now I've actually never seen Castaway, so. but I know, I've, I saw enough previews and I've heard enough about it <laughs> to know that there's like, there, he falls, like, his best friend becomes a volleyball named Wilson in this, right? And, and I actually see, a, like, a, a correlation here between the Gord and Jonah and this, and this volleyball and Tom Hanks. I don't know what his character's name is. Tom Hanks. Is Tom Hanks in the movie? That'd be funny. <laughs> Um, but it's just, it, it's strange behavior. 
And I imagine Jonah's relationship with the, with the gourd actually being a very sad form of worshiping his feelings. It's just an object to project his feelings upon. But what does the gourd do? The gourd provides Jonah with physical relief from the sun, doesn't it? That's what it does. Functionally, the gourd grows and it provides, in this little fort that Jonah's crafted, the gourd provides him with relief from the sun. It casts a shadow over him. But you know what? The gourd serves him in silence. It serves him in silence. The gourd is everything that Jonah wished God was. A silent servant. That's what he wants of his God. Someone who will serve him and keep their mouth shut. And for some of us, if we're honest, that's what we want from our God too. A silent servant. Something, someone that will provide for us our every need and our every whim and our every desire and whose perspectives and morality will bend to our own. And he will not ask of anything hard of our lives. If we're honest with ourselves, some of us, that's the type of God that we want. You know, one of our biggest issues is that we are not only unwilling to let God change us, some of us actually hate that he asks anything of us. We hate it. We would prefer he had no expectations for our life. You know, Jonah had lost sight of love and functional intimacy with God, so he replaces it with the vulgar object of a gourd, something that will serve at his good pleasure. What's it say? It says, So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. I mean, this is, is, this is just, this is sad, man. This is just sad. See, this is the man of displeasure. This is the man of displeasure who finds temporary pleasure in a plant, in an abnormal fixation. So here's the question for you. What is your gourd? What is your abnormal fixation? What is your coping mechanism? What is the object, object of your affection? What is your emotional release? Where do you find emotional release? That sin that you just keep going back to. The thing that you've projected your emotions upon. Where have you found pleasure that replaces the pleasure of God? Verse 8, And it came to pass when the sun, I'm sorry, verse 7, when, uh, but God prepared a worm. God prepared a worm. So He prepares again, right? Just the way He prepared a fish, just the way He prepared a gourd, He prepares again, He prepares a worm. And when the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd, that it withered. Okay, listen. The, the, the worm here was an agent as well. It was an agent of destruction. An agent of exposure. And it exposes Jonah's abnormal fixation. The worm comes in and it kills the gourd. It kills his object of affection. And it dies right before him. In a 24-hour period. It's gone. And so Jonah is forced to face the reality of his bizarre emotional issues, the brokenness of his thought life. He's forced to do it. It exposes his raw weakness of mind. And I, and I honestly, I, I pray that God has used this series to do that very thing in your life. That God is beginning to expose in you all of the abnormal fixations that you have, the false affections that you have, the false perspectives that you've been holding on to for years and years. And then there's a wind. And it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah and he fainted and wished him in himself to die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, once again, 
doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. And I don't know, man, this, this is just, I mean, maybe to you this is just a story. But this is me. Self-justified. Self-excusing. Reasons why I serve me over God. You know, God gives and he takes away. Job 1.21 says in This is Job speaking and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so what appears to us is cruelty and God's prerogative to act in accordance to the purifying of His saints. Sometimes that looks like cruelty, but what that actually is is God's hand of righteousness and mercy. What we deserve is God leaving us to our own devices. That's what we deserve. You know what? What, we, what Jonah deserved was just to be left there in his pity party to die. That's what he deserved. But God pursued. So we don't deserve the storms of grace. We don't deserve the storms of consequence. What we actually deserve is death. We don't deserve anything. We don't deserve a good job, a husband, or a wife, a house, a good church. We don't deserve a good church. We don't deserve a mission. We don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve a Savior. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. God has only extended grace to us. And His pursuit of us is the proof of His love. Yet we believe it is our right to pitch a fit when what He deserves is the offering of our pure heart. What He deserves is our heart. And when the idolatry of our heart is exposed for what it is, it will produce one of two things. Listen to me. Two things. This is the the beginning and the end of this whole story. It will either be depression to our destruction. And some of us know that path. Or it will be humility to recovery. That's it. That's the options. When you come to this point where, you're, where your emotional life and your thought life are exposed for what they are, it will only produce one of two things. Either depression to destruction or humility to our recovery. And so the key prayer of this section becomes the following. God, please set me free from the worship of my own feelings and fixations. That's the prayer. Very simple. God, please set me free from the worship of my own feelings and fixations. Now, before we conclude the book, we must reconsider how we got here and how we can get real change. If we have the same emotional tendencies that Jonah has, then how could we possibly get freedom from our deeply ingrained thought life? How do we reform our emotional life? How do we do it? We can't. And the fact that we can't is only proven in the fact that one of the fastest growing areas, professional areas in America, is psychological therapy. One of the fastest growing industries in America is psychoanalysis. Because in our flesh, we can't get an answer. And so the cycle feeds itself. And there's money to be made there. Anytime there's addiction, there's money. And if we're addicted to our emotion, and we're stuck in that cycle, there's going to be someone to take advantage of that. And I'm not telling you that therapists are wrong. I'm not telling you that counseling, professional counseling can't be good. But it's only valuable to the extent that it points you to the place of the cross.
Because there is no hope outside of Jesus. And what, what must be done for me to have God's heart? How can I possibly think and emote properly when I'm constantly consumed by thoughts and perspectives that I've had for years and years and years and years? How do I do that? When Jonah was at his lowest point, when it seemed that his physical body could take no more, when it seemed his emotions were their most raw, God took the opportunity to speak directly to the issue, speak directly to exactly what he needed, and he's going to do that for us right here. Are you ready? Number 11. This is what we need. We need him to free us to have his heart. We have to have his heart. It's the answer. It's the answer to the whole freaking thing. This is the answer to 10 weeks of study in the book of Jonah. This is, this is the answer to you praying over and over again, God, I, I don't want to be apathetic. I, I don't want to flee when things get hard. I don't want to run away. I don't want to isolate myself when my emotions aren't right. I don't want to be depressed anymore. I don't want to get angry with my family members so quickly. I don't want to project my pain onto other people. I don't, want, I don't want to have these aberrant thoughts and emotions. I don't want them anymore. It boils down to this. You need God's heart. In verses 10 and 11, everything is boiled down to a question. A question has the power to set us free. It says, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night, and should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right and their left hand, and also much cattle? First thing he does is question the level of Jonah's attachment to the, to the gourd. Verse 10, Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd. See, the gourd represents the thing that he has tied his desires to. The gourd is only important because it becomes the object of Jonah's fixation. Jonah used the gourd to represent the unfairness of God, God's lack of understanding for his life. The gourd came to represent his own failures and insecurities. The gourd was nothing more than the situation that amplified the severity of his anger and his depression. It's the trigger. You, you know that term? The gourd is nothing more than a trigger. But God, in his desire to draw Jonah back into reality, reminds him, you didn't labor by planting that gourd. You didn't tend to its growth. You didn't cause it to grow. For the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow. What is, he, what is God telling him there? Listen to me very carefully. God is telling us that we are obsessed with things that were never ours to obsess with anyway. They never belonged to us. We are obsessed with things in this life. that are so vain and empty and far, far away. We're, obs we're obsessed with the most stupid trash. And they just quickly, and you know, the funny thing is I think back on my life, man. I think back to when I was a teenager, okay? I used to play basketball. I was pretty good at it. Basketball was my gourd. When basketball was taken away from me, I felt pain about that. It was a gourd of my life. It was a fixation. And man, my, the things that I've enjoyed throughout my life, they're so fleeting. They're so empty. They're just places to store my emotions and thoughts that aren't on God. I'm fickle. I mean, like there was a season in my life where I spent hundreds and hundreds of dollars on snowboarding equipment because I loved to snowboard. James was there with me. We went through that phase together. <laughs> We'd get passes up to Snow Creek and we would go on the, on the weekends until it wasn't convenient. We had some other fixation, some other place to store our emotions and thoughts and feelings and perspectives. But man, I've spent my whole life chasing things that were never mine to begin with. Things that I wanted. Objects of my affection. Money. 
a good career. Our emotions are ruled by the powers of this world. Our identity is so reliant on the subjective and unstable variables of our sensual world that Satan has our emotions on a leash. And he's jerking you around wherever he wants you to go. But God is rattling our cages and he's asking us, do you well to pity the gourd? He's asking us, do you well to love your thoughts and emotions more than you love me? And then he points out the temporality of our attachments. See, catch this line here. Which came up in a night and perished in a night. See, just as the gourd grew and died in a day, listen to me, so is the nature of your life. The gourd grew and it died in a, in the matter of a, a night span. I mean, from one night to another is what it, is what it implies there. It's gone. It's fleeting. It shrivels up and it dies. God gives us life and guess what? He takes it away. James 4.14 says, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Psalm 39.5 says, Behold, thou hast made my days and hand breath and mine age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Selah. 1 Peter 1.24 For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. 1 John 2.17 And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, and he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Listen, the gourd is impermanent. Of course it is. Whether it lasts a day, it lasts a week, it lasts a season, it's impermanent, it dies. But so are we. And so are our thoughts and our emotions and all of our perspectives. They die with us. Don't they? They don't last. They have just just as little impermanence as the gourd does. They're vanity. They're weak. They're unstable. See, God is telling us that our lives should not revolve around our unstable fixations and perishable dreams. That's what he's telling us. That they should not revolve around our unstable fixations, because they are, right? And our perishable dreams. You know the dreams that you have? Your deepest desires, they die. The things that we love, they're destined to die along with our bodies. They're just as meager as the gourd. What rights do we have in in a world where everything begins and ends with God? His will. And his ways. What right, what right do we have to be angry, frustrated, disappointed, p- apathetic, pitiful, self-consumed, self-hating, self-harming? What right do we have to do those and be those things? What rights do we have to presume upon God that things should go the way we dream they should? When our mind was created with the intent that it might be conformed to his very will. What right do we have to be self-consumed when the fabric of our very existence is held together by His will? Man, I I hope you're getting this, man. I hope I'm not moving too fast. I'm hoping this isn't too heavy. What I'm telling you is so important. What right do you have to hold on to your emotions and your ideas and your dreams in light of the fact that your very breath of your mouth is held together by the will of your Creator? They don't belong to you. They never did. They come and they go. You're fickle. You're weak. Key point number three. Life is short and fragile and easily wasted in the vanity of our own thoughts and emotions. Life is short and fragile and easily wasted in the vanity of our own thoughts and emotions. And so, now watch and marvel at God as he extends to us his heart. He wants to give us his understanding. Are you listening? Verse 11. 
all your fleeting thoughts and all your fleeting emotions. Listen. And should not I spare Nineveh? That great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot even discern between their right and their left hand. These people, these Ninevites, these lost and lonely people that have responded in brokenness, these people, these people that I've redeemed, these people, these souls that, that stand saved, And you're busy feeling sorry for yourself. See, all of our study in the book of Jonah has served to show us that when our emotions are out of control, we can only think of ourselves. While all the while, God is thinking about souls. Man, while you were busy thinking about you and your loneliness and your depression... I was thinking about the soul of the person in the cubicle next to you. See, the problem with our depression and the problem with our our disappointment and the problem with our frustrations is that they're so far away from the heart of God. We can't even hear Him. We don't even know. We don't even know Him. We don't even know his desires. If we can stop thinking about what we want and what we deserve and how we feel for one moment, our spirit might be silent enough to hear God say, see that soul? I love them. And I want them for my very own. And I want you to feel that too and I want you to know that and I want to use you. See, that's the issue. We don't care about the right things. We don't care about eternal things. Key point number four. God cares for souls and so should we. God is building his kingdom with the souls of men. This is his passion. If we share in this perspective, we know that this is the measurement for our success in life. Whether or not we're a successful Christian is contingent on whether or not we share this perspective with God. Did you know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 tells us this very thing. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now listen. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. And I don't have time to extrapolate that for you, but I want you to know something. Precious stones are the souls of men in Scripture. Precious stones are the souls of men in Scripture. And in part, we help build the kingdom of God by reaching souls. This is the family business. And if we are not about that business, then we are destined to live lives that are self-consuming, lustful, sensual, pathetic, and depressing. Wood, hay, and stubble. 
revealed only by fire, revealed only at the judgment seat. When our life is over and we stand before Jesus Christ, we will answer for every false emotion and false thought, whether or not we submitted those things and died to them for the sake of souls. See, our lives were made to count. We were redeemed that we would count. How could we possibly stay in bondage to the weakness of our own feelings and desires, knowing that God has called us to save the world from destruction? You know what? Superheroes don't have time to think about themselves. Peace, bro. If our job is to save souls, I mean, how dare we as Christians stare so long at our own hearts that we get lost there? How dare we consider the value of our own personal emotions to the neglect of the souls that surround us? How dare we let our heartbeat drown out the heartbeat of our Father? So here we are. We want freedom from depression. We want freedom from apathy. We want freedom from fear. We want freedom from insecurity. We want freedom from our emotional pain. We'll start by choosing to love, love what God loves. Start there. Choose to invest in what He values. Choose to cherish what He holds dear. Choose to abandon what He considers trivial. You know, there's things that God just doesn't care about. And you, some of y'all love that crap. That's your favorite stuff. The, God, the stuff that God doesn't even think about is triviality. See, listen, and I, Uriah said it. It's in my notes too. Uriah said this very thing. Choose to put your ear to his chest and to know his emotions. Choose to put your ear to his words and hear his promises. See, no one is suggesting that your feelings and thoughts are irrelevant. No one's saying that. No one is saying that your pain is not worth acknowledging. No one's saying that. But the book of Jonah has taught us that freedom begins with loving and agreeing with God. I mean, it begins somewhere. Freedom from your pain begins somewhere. And it begins with saying that, God, whatever you tell me, I'm going to agree with. Whatever your word says, I'm going to believe it. Whatever, you, whatever it is that you're calling my life to, I'm going to own it. I choose you. Key point number five. Life is short. Life is short and fragile, but gratifying when we learn to love and care for what He does. Like having God's thoughts and emotions and having His heartbeat inside of us and, 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 and loving His ways, it doesn't change the fact that your life is still fragile and weak. It doesn't change that fact. That's still true. But what we're talking about is the difference between displeasure and satisfaction. That's what we're talking about. The book of Jonah ends with God asking this question. Should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right and their left hand? Listen, I believe that this is a call on Jonah's life, to one, first acknowledge the fact that souls are precious and, they're, and, and, the, and the eternity of a person is way more important than how we feel. The eternal destiny of another person. See, here's the thing. You want to know the answer to being empathetic with people and to actually truly caring for other people? Everybody wants to be empathetic nowadays. You want to know the, the key to being empathetic? Love souls. Know that they're eternal. Know that every soul is either destined for heaven or hell. Know that. Take it upon yourself to believe that with every ounce of your body. That'll make you empathetic real quick. 
So I believe that God is calling Jonah to love and adore souls and understand the value of souls. The other thing he's calling him to do is to be a discipler of men. See, the problem was not their salvation. They had just gotten saved. The issue was that they couldn't discern between their right and their left hand. They didn't know how to proceed forward. The Ninevites had no hope without discipleship. They were just going to wander. And in fact, they did for a hundred years until God allowed them to be destroyed. Because no one went to them. The nation of Israel, the prophet Jonah, no one went to them to teach them the ways of God. I mean, we're talking about souls here that were ready and primed to be followers of God. The one thing that Israel was supposed to do was to be a blessing to the other nations. And they couldn't do it because they hated the Assyrians. They just hated them. And they couldn't do the one thing that God called them to do. Here are 400,000 people ready and willing to follow God. And they could not believe that souls were precious to God. And they did not believe that they were supposed to go and disciple them. And there's failure. And the book of Nahum is the story of the destruction of Nineveh because they never knew how to follow God. They never found the discernment between their right and their left hand. Israel failed to to, to invest in in Nineveh and they lost their opportunity. It passed. You know that every day that passes, you lose opportunities to have God's heartbeat? Every single day that you're self-consumed, you're busy thinking about you, you lose opportunities to see souls saved and see them discipled, who are you investing in? What are your priorities? What are you doing with your days? I mean, even Bible study can be an act of vanity and self-consumption. You can go to get your fix. and A Bible study can be your gourd. See, obedience is not sufficient. Listen to me. Relief from my emotional pain is not sufficient. I need his heart. Here's the key prayer. God, please, set me free to feel and think and act just like you. Just like Uriah said, every good son, every good daughter wants to know the heartbeat of their father. They want to imitate They want to act like. They want to feel like. When I cry, my son cries. When I'm hurt, my son hurts. This ought to be our heart towards our Father in heaven. The way that he thinks ought to be the way that we think. And what about you? Is that your prayer? Has Jonah taught you to put your emotions and thoughts beneath God's? If that's what you've learned, then today is the day that we agree with God. Today is the day to put aside your desires and die to them and surrender your desires to God. Maybe that means confession. Maybe it's time. You waited this whole entire series to make a confession to someone that you trust in this ministry, someone you need to pull aside and you say, I need to pray with you because there's something that's going on. I need to tell you about it. I need to put it before the Lord, this, this area of sin, this area of thinking in my life, this emotion that I've been holding on to. I need to tell you about that, and I need to confess it before the Lord. I need to deal with it right now. Maybe that's you. For some of you, learning God's heart <clears throat> means that you need to start discipleship. You need to start learning His Word, because if you put your ear to His book, then you're going to hear His heartbeat, and you'll learn. The pattern of your heart will learn to, to match that rhythm. And it begins with discipleship. Some of you need to start evangelizing. 
You need to start sharing your faith. You need to start prioritizing the things that God prioritizes, the things that He loves. You need to love them too. And you need to start by telling your neighbor, your family member, your friend, your classmate about who Jesus Christ is and why He came into this world and why He suffered such great pain that He might know us. That we might hear His heart. That we might share in His great riches that we might share in his inheritance, that we might be the friend of God. I don't know what it is you need today, but I'm going to read this passage in Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to invite the worship guys to come up. And I'm going to close in prayer. And as we do, you know if you need to come forward. You you know if it's time to deal with something. You, You know. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, false affections, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walk some time when ye lived in them, when you weren't saved. But now, ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and and have not put on the new man which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, But Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, if any man, I'm sorry, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God and the Father by Him. This is the reformation of our heart. It's to seek Him, to know Him, and to subject our emotions and our thoughts underneath Him. And He will take care of the rest. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You I thank you for your word. I thank you for the book of Jonah. I thank you for the, this case study that you've left us. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I believe that, that Jonah wrote this book. And I don't know whether or not that means that he ever came to a place where he was repentant. <clears throat> and I, I don't know if it means that the way that this book ends is the way that his life ends. Just bitterness and and anger. I I don't know. But I know this, that you gave him an opportunity to set his affections on things above. To value the things that you value. To believe the way that you believe. To to walk in your way and to know your will. You invited him into that path just as you invite us now. And so God, for me, I surrender. And I pray that all of us would surrender. 
and that we would be devoted to a life of listening to you and to loving you and to love the things that you love and to put on godliness, to put on the new man, the one that has the capacity to love and emote the right way. Give us your mind. Conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, I ask it in his name alone. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.